we have finished our series in the Gospel of Mark. So we did start a new series in um, February, and we're going to resume that series now. And we're not going through the whole of Jeremiah. We're just taking uh, nuggets uh, or jewels from Jeremiah that may be well-known verses or not so well-known, but they are beautiful definitions of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And there is something very appropriate this morning on this hot uh, Sunday uh, that the Lord is directing us to a couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13 of Jeremiah 2. Let me just read those verses. We did have them in our reading. Let me read them again. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. The illustration here is very apt, is it not, today? And as I was telling the children, what uh, God is using in this illustration is a very powerful metaphor. He is described as the living water, fresh water, an endless supply of water. We're not thinking now of fountains uh, like you have in the middle of villages or in city squares. Uh, these are springs that bubble forth from the ground. That's how Jesus Christ compares himself. And instead of drinking from the true and the living God, the people had dug for themselves ditches. And in these ditches was stagnant, dirty uh, water that would make you ill in drinking it. Very powerful, isn't it? And God is saying through Jeremiah, be astonished, be shocked. My people have turned away from the fountain to ditches, ditches. And in the verse before that, he puts it like this. Has there any been such a thing before? A nation changing its gods? That's what Israel was doing. Instead of going after the Lord, the true and the living God, they were going after all sorts of other gods, idols. And God is asking the question, have you ever heard of such a stupid thing? A nation changing gods? Have the Assyrians changed their gods? Have the Egyptians changed their gods? And when we look at nations today, uh, think of the Muslim nations. Have they changed their gods? Or what about Hinduism in India and Buddhism further east? Have we heard of those nations changing their gods? Of course not. But what is happening in the West is that we 
with all of our Christian heritage, we are turning away from the true and the living God. You only have to go down uh, the road here. Uh, go down uh, Cruis Road and you will find on the right-hand side a mosque. It wasn't a mosque when it was built. That was a very famous Presbyterian chapel, a Welsh Presbyterian chapel. Isn't that poignant? You only have to go uh, to Mid Wales, and you will see the old chapel, it will be called. And it will no longer be a place of worship. It will be a house, the old chapel. Or think of places of worship that have now been converted into nightclubs. So God is saying, this is an unbelievable thing. There is nothing like this in other nations. And yet, when it comes to the true God, it happens again and again. In a way, that shows that the God of the Bible is the real God. Otherwise, there wouldn't be this temptation to turn away from him. So let's look at this illustration then. So I wonder, what about us here this morning? Have we got a cistern way of living? Now, I know we think of a cistern as something in the bathroom. <laughs> but what we've got to have in our minds here this morning is this ditch water that have been dug by people. Is that our life, a cistern way of living? Now, you don't have to uh, be uh, worshipping uh, God uh, made of stone or of wood to be going after an idol, right? An idol is anything that we're chasing after. An idol is anything that we're building our life on. An idol is anything that our life is basically revolving around. So have we got a system way of living? Can I give you a few examples? Uh, not so much uh, changing religion as the children of Israel were doing here, but what about some of the new gods in the West? Uh, maybe our chapels, which were once the biggest buildings in Wales, maybe they are empty or have changed in their function. But there are still other places of worship in Wales today. Now, I've got to be careful here because I'm not a sports person in any, any sense. But there is a big place of worship in the centre of our city, the rugby stadium. Isn't that a place of worship? A lot of people who are into rugby in Wales are basically worshipping the game. Now, there is nothing wrong with sports. I believe God has given us sports. But what sin does is twist the good things of God and turn it into something that we worship. So instead of worshipping the creator, we worship a creature. And I believe Wales has, over the years, made rugby into a god. But that's not the only place of worship in the centre of our city. What about these shopping malls? What about 
the way that we worship money and possessions. Isn't that another idol that we have built up over these years? It's like ditch water, isn't it? What is that phrase? Shop till you drop. Does material possessions satisfy our innermost desires? Uh, Think of uh, the water in the ditch. This is pure water. But think if this was salty water. If I drank it to assuage my thirst, I'd be more thirsty, wouldn't I? What would I have to do? I would drink more of it. And then it's a vicious circle. The more you drink of it, the more thirsty you become. So instead of satisfying me, it makes me less satisfied and it will ultimately kill me. And that's what Jesus Christ said when he was here on earth. He said, a man's life does not consist in the things which he possesses. So if we are making our life to be possessions, then that's not going to satisfy us. What else can we live for? Well, pleasure, pleasure. Maybe this is something that we have seen in our country. People living, uh, living for sex. People uh, living uh, just for the things that they enjoy. Uh, Maybe on a hot day like this, we will have people worshipping the sun. Isn't that ironic? People used to worship the sun uh, many, many generations ago. Well, we're going back now into becoming sun worshippers. But do the pleasures of this life really satisfy our innermost desires? Again, please don't misunderstand me here. God has showered these good gifts upon us. There is nothing wrong in going to the beach. There is nothing wrong in listening to a piece of music. There is nothing wrong in uh, watching films. But once we make gods of them, once we go after them, and once they become the center of our life, then there is something very wrong about them, and they don't satisfy, do they? We are the most pleasure-obsessed society that has ever been, and we're also the most dissatisfied of people. This has always struck me when I've had the privilege of traveling to poorer countries of the world. And I'm not just thinking of Christians now. Across the board, what strikes you is the contentment and the happiness of people who have far fewer pleasures and possessions than we have. Is your lifestyle a ditch water cistern lifestyle? What are we living for? Somebody wrote this poem. I strove with none, for none were worth my strife. This is a man who's been drinking from the ditch water. He's a clever man. Nature I loved. Nothing wrong with that. And next to nature, art, nothing wrong with that. But you can't make them the centre of your life. This man is realising that. I warmed both hands at the fire of life. He's trying to suck all the good out of life. But it doesn't satisfy. It sinks. The fire is sinking. 
and I am ready to depart. Or in the words of Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. Haven't you found that to be the case? There's a hymn which says, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but oh, the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Haven't you found that to be the case? No satisfaction. No satisfaction. And you know what's worse about these broken systems? They don't give us hope. They don't give us hope. Like that man who wrote the poem, talking about the good things of life. It sinks, it sinks, and I'm ready to depart. Uh, I don't know, if you try to make wealth, you are God. You're not always going to be uh, in the money. If you're trying to make sports the thing that your life revolves around, one day you are not always going to be strong enough to play sports. Did you watch that football match yesterday? I can't remember which side it was. What was it? Danish player? Collapsing, collapsing. Was he ready to die if he had died? What hope do these things give us? We can't carry our possessions into the next world. You know, our danger is maybe we will say, ah, yes, that's not what we will idolize. But what about, what about some other things? I, I don't know. Uh, we, we are making a stand, aren't we, against the immorality around us, and that's a very good, good thing to do. But can't we then, in overreacting to that, Make an idol even of good things, like family. Family. Family is a gift of God. But we can't live for that, can we? We can't live for that. Uh, there's a chorus which I used to sing in Sunday school. One of the few English ones I learnt. You've got to walk that lonesome valley. Do you, do you know it? You've got to walk that lonesome valley. You've got to walk it all by yourself. One day we will have to say goodbye to family. We can't rely on family in order to give us our soul's satisfaction. And we definitely can't rely on family when we come to leave this world behind. We can't rely on the faith of our parents for our acceptance with God. We're going to have to stand before God all by ourselves. Let's thank God for family, but let's not idolize it. What else? We can, we can idolize our church. Uh, I'm of a generation that still remembers chapel people, Welsh speakers, right? Who'd always grown up to attend chapel. I don't think they had a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they put their faith in chapel. 
So if you would ask them, uh, do you know if you're going to heaven after you die? They would say something along these lines to you. Well, I'm hoping church would because I've been faithful in coming to chapel, chapel. They're putting their hope in chapel. Are we trusting in the fact that we are coming to a good, sound, active, evangelical church? We can't put our hope in that. It's a broken system in and of itself, isn't it? Or what about politics? Politics in America, we're seeing this. The evangelicals in America, they are tending to go into politics more. Politics is the art of the possible. And we tend to think, don't we, that we can do something. We can change our society. That's why Israel in Jeremiah's day were making alliances with surrounding nations like Egypt. They thought that that would save them. But no God is saying to them, you have no power in and of yourself and these surrounding nations can't help you. You need me, you need me. You know, Christianity isn't the art of the possible. It is the God of the impossible that we are coming before. It is impossible for any of us to have our souls truly satisfied in what we do. It is impossible. It is impossible for any of us to be able to build a hope, not just that will last for a few weeks or months, but a hope that will carry us through this life with all of its problems and carry us across death and into eternity. It is impossible. It is impossible for us to make ourselves right with God, whether it is chapel, whether it is good works. It is impossible. The fact that a person would say, touch wood, I hope that it will be all right in the end. That shows that it is impossible. Broken systems, that's all it is. Broken systems. Now then, let's look at the uh, answer here. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. My privilege this morning as a preacher of the gospel is to bring before you the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ. Isn't that how he often referred to himself? Let me give you a few verses here. John chapter 7, it was during the feast, the Jewish feast, at the last day of the feast, after people were packing up all the ceremonial washings which you have in the Old Testament. On the last day, verse 37 of John 7, I'm reading from, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that wonderful? 
And then I think Mike Meller preached on these verses in John chapter 4. On a hot day, Jesus was standing outside a well in Samaria. And he says to a woman that he met there, John 4 verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? This is a hope. This is something that can satisfy our deepest longings. This is something that will forgive our sins and enable us to stand before God and not be condemned. Don't you want that? What's the answer? Well, let me just refer to that woman at the well of Samaria. She'd made a mess of her life, hadn't she? She had dug for herself ditches. She had been through, how many divorces had she been through? Was it five, five husbands she'd been through? Five or six? And what does Jesus say to her? Yes, Jesus reminds her of that. Not to condemn her. He wants her to be convicted he wants her to realize that, yes, she's dug a broken cistern for herself and that she's in a mess and that she can't do anything to sort herself out. But Jesus doesn't leave her in that lurch. Jesus then presents himself to her as the only one that can provide for her spiritual and her physical needs. Aren't you glad this morning that it is the God of Jeremiah too that spoke to that woman? Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus Christ is the same one as spoke through Jeremiah in the chapter that we're considering? Jesus is a fountain of living water. What, what's, what's a fountain? A fountain is the source, right? It's the source. Uh, so even though the taff uh, has reservoirs right at uh, the top of the Brecon Beacons, the actual source of the taff is a bit beyond that in terms of a spring. A ditch of water is man-made. You have to dig it. The water there becomes stagnant because there's no source there. And this is who Jesus Christ is, my friends. He is the source. What do I mean by that? Jesus Christ is the creator. That's why he can satisfy our heart's deepest longings. He is God. No creature can satisfy the God-shaped hole in our hearts. Because a creature is just that. And we are creatures. But the creator, ah, the creator, can fill that hole. Augustine said, thou hast created us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. 
Have you sought Jesus Christ? Don't you feel a soul thirst for him? It's awful, isn't it? Thirst. Uh, when you read of men in the trenches during the First World War, uh, they're dying. But the worst thing about their experience, if you read the accounts, is the thirst. And if you've got that kind of thirst, none of us here have experienced that. But if you've ever had that kind of thirst, you'd give anything just for a drop of water. It doesn't have to be heavy on water. Just any water will do. And oh, once you have just a bit of soul thirst, once you realize that you have a soul, once you realize that nothing can satisfy the longings of your soul, once you realize that you're condemned and that you need forgiveness. Once you realize that one day you're going to die and after death for judgment, I'm saying nothing else matters but one drop of mercy from Jesus Christ. A grave was excavated many years ago of one of the great European kings from the Middle Ages. Charlemagne, Charlemagne. He founded uh, the Holy Roman Empire of Christendom. And when they opened this grave, they found his skeleton and an open Bible and the finger pointing at a verse. Here is one of the wealthiest men from the Middle Ages who had an empire and his finger was pointing on the verse, what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We've got souls. You don't want to lose your soul, my friend. Jesus Christ can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And then you see, this uh, fountain is natural. It's natural spring. It's not like the ditch where you have to dig, you have to dig, dig, dig. It's hard work digging, isn't it? And it's like that when you are basing your uh, salvation on what you have to do. You just toil in order to be accepted of God. And you know at the end of the day that all your labours are not going to be enough. That's why Roman Catholicism teaches about purgatory. It's impossible to say to a sinner that once they die, they can be forgiven completely and go to heaven. But this is what God does. What is impossible to you and me is possible for God. And the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became a man, he came in order to do what we couldn't do. So what is it to become a Christian? A Christian is a person who stopped digging. A Christian is a person who stopped working. A Christian is a person who's realized that not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal even, no respite, no rest, no. Could my tears forever flow? Oh, for sin cannot atone. It can't deal with the sin. 
It can't wipe away the stain. Thou must save and thou alone and blessed be to God in Jesus Christ. That's what he has done. On the cross, Jesus accomplished something. Hanging on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus Christ became sin for you and for me. He didn't turn into a sinner. He still remained the spotless Lamb of God. But on him was laid all your sins and mine. He took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be forgiven. This is how Paul summed it up. To him that works not, but believes. Praise be to God. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Have you stopped trying to save yourself? Have you stopped digging? Have you laid down your spade? Have you laid down your sin? Have you laid down your good works? Have you laid down your righteousness? And they're all there in a filthy pile. And you've just gone spiritually naked to Jesus Christ. That's what it is to become a Christian. And I've got to come to a conclusion here, but this is a fountain, a fountain. It's a never-ending supply. You know, springs of water are still there even when the streams run out of water. So if we were to have a drought this year, uh, if you ever drive up the A470 through the Brecon Beacons, you will see some of the streams that are now flowing, they'll dry out. But do you know what? The fountain is still there. It's still springing. And it's a bit like that with Jesus Christ. If we base our salvation and our life on something else, in the end, it's going to run out. Money runs out. Pleasures run out. Chapel runs out. But Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no drought with Jesus Christ. There's no lockdown with Jesus Christ. He's a source of grace. How did Wesley put it? Um, Thou art full of truth and grace. He's a reservoir. And when we dry out, we tap into him. A minister, Andrew Bonnar, 19th century Scotland, he'd lost his wife. And he said, broken cisterns, broken cisterns all around. But the fountain, the fountain is still flowing. The fountain. I can't explain this. It was 1990 when I came to believe in Jesus Christ, as you know. I won't give you the details. It's now 2021. Why am I still going? If you're a Christian here this morning, why are you still Keeping on and keeping on. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I went through many fads when I was growing up. And I still have many fads, probably, as you do. I went through a golfing fad. I went through a computer games fad. Uh, I went through a mountain climbing fad. Never lasted, never lasted. But why am I still going on with the Lord? 
It's because he has started a good work. It's because he is the fountain of living waters. It is because we are his workmanship. We're not man-made. You don't make yourself a Christian. You can be born into a Christian home. You can be born into a Christian country. But you still have to become one. And how do we do that? We just recognize we're thirsty. We recognize that we've dug broken ditches. That we're in a mess. That we have no hope. That we, if we die, we'll be condemned forever. And we recognize that Jesus Christ is God's answer. And Jesus Christ didn't remain on that cross. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And he ascended and he's there now. He's alive. And you call on him to save you. You know, nothing in life is free, is it? I know it's a cliche, but it's worth saying. If you want to have some of the greatest pleasures that are advertised, you've got to pay. You've got to pay. But Jesus Christ, do you know what he says? Come, everyone that thirsts. We had it at the start of our service. Come to the waters. You who have no money. I've got no money. I haven't got spare change, Lord. I'm unclean spiritually. I haven't got the strength. I'm not respectable. Doesn't matter, he says. Come without money and without price. Yes. Salvation isn't cheap. It is expensive. It cost Jesus Christ his own blood. But it's offered for free to us. Offered for free. I know of no better news. Oh, I've got to come to a conclusion. In the silver chair, the penultimate chronicle of Narnia, a girl called Jill finds herself in a forest and she's thirsty. She's dying of thirst. And there's a little brook in this woodland and she makes her way towards it. But there's a problem. There's a lion standing in the way. And the lion does something impossible. He talks. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. <laughs> Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she'd come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She asked. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. 
I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the hardest thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. What are you going to do with the Lion of Judah? Not Aslan. The Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. Let me finish by quoting a hymn I started to quote. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. That's not Jesus Christ. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not thee. But while I passed, my Saviour by his love laid hold on me. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. Now none but Christ can satisfy. And even when I'm doing other things in my life, whether it's sports or art or, I don't know, other pleasures, I'm doing it for Christ. None but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life. And lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Won't you drink of him? May we drink again and again and again. And you know what the greatest sin is? It's not so much the bad behavior we do. I know that is sin. The greatest sin is refusing to take of Jesus Christ when he's offering us for free. This is the condemnation, said John, that God sent his son into the world and men and women chose not to believe because they love darkness rather than light. Praise God. We don't have to dig ditches. We have in Christ a fountain of living water. Drink drink. The more you drink of Christ, the more satisfied you will become. And do you know what will happen? A fountain of living waters will bubble up in your hearts and it will touch people around you for his name's sake. Let us now sing that hymn. I, th I think it's the hymn I quoted from. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, hath found or has found, if you want it in modern English,
Father, we just praise thee this morning for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there is a fountain uh, even uh, to uh, wash us from our sin and uncleanness. Thou, uh, O Lord, uh, uh, the fountain, uh, uh, there is no no one else. Uh, Freely let us take of thee, uh, we pray. Uh, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely Give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down like Jill and drink and live. Oh, I came to Jesus. May we all do that, Father. And I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived. Nothing revives us, Lord, like the gospel. And now I live in him. And now may that grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us from the moment we believe through this wilderness of a world and forever and forever. Amen.